Welcome in to the Paul Kuharski podcast. I'm Paul Kuharski of paulkuharski.com. I like to get my name in three times real quick there at the beginning. Make sure you know who you're hearing from. And we've knocked that out and we'll get right into it. I talk about the Tennessee Titans. I am talking to you on uh, Wednesday evening, December 21st. And I just wrote uh, about an hour ago about Ryan Tannehill um, being very likely out for the remainder of the season with his right ankle injury. Adrenaline clearly carried him through um, in Los Angeles after on a short run, he got his ankle rolled really badly. Um, he was down on the field for a good length of time, walked off very slowly, was in the medical tent, the blue medical tent for a good while, then got on the cart, which had to take him, uh, you know, about as far around the stadium as you could go halfway around the stadium to go uh, into the tunnel and get whatever checkup he got on that cart ride. He had his, uh, you know, shoe off and his sock just covering his toes, really. But he seemed in a pretty good mood, maybe somewhat relieved there that it wasn't worse upon that examination and maybe that the pain had subsided somewhat. And he gave waves to Titans fans who were acknowledging him and getting his attention multiple times during that cart ride. Um, and look, it looked really bad. The videos that were put out of the replay from the telecast, I freeze framed it, you know, and then uh, armchair doctors were, you know, saying it was broken, it was dislocated. Certainly wasn't any of those things because Malik Willis ran one series um, and Tannehill was back on the sideline while the defense was on the field. He was on his feet. He had a new tape job. Um, and he was talking to Willis, but he wasn't sitting. He wasn't on crutches. He wasn't uh, nursing it in any way, shape, or form. And lo and behold, when the offense got the ball back, uh, he was throwing some warm-up passes, dropping back even, and he came on the field, played the remainder of the game, and, uh, you know, was not terrible, engineered a game-tying drive at the end that left a little bit too much time on the clock. And, and uh, you know the story, the, the Chargers um, moved to a game-winning field goal with four seconds left and won the game 17-14. Tannehill talked pretty explicitly about the terrible, terrible pain that he was in suffering the injury and the, the thoughts that ran through his head about how bad it could have been and the relief that came that he was was able to return to the game as much as it still hurt. But, you know, an injury like that, if you follow the NFL closely, you know the, the key story really comes to be told the morning after. And clearly the morning after was not good. We did not see uh, Tannehill. So the Titans had a walkthrough practice on Tuesday and that was not open to any degree to the press. And we only had uh, two guys talk at the podium. Tuesday was like a Wednesday, but we didn't have an open locker room and we didn't have a quarterback talking slot. So Wednesday, which was like uh, a, a, a Thursday, um, we did have an open locker room. But, um, you know, so Henry talked to us the first day 
which usually would have been the quarterback day. On the, on the second day, which usually would have been Henry's day, we didn't have a player at the podium in addition to the coordinators. Um, and Todd Downing pretty strongly indicated that Malik would be playing. And uh, Malik Willis, the number two quarterback, the rookie third rounder who started two games previously when Tannehill was out after injuring his ankle against the Colts. He then missed, uh, missed the two games against um, these same Houston Texans, right? And the Titans won with the heavy Derrick Henry recipe. And then they lost at Kansas City, though they played uh, the Chiefs tight. Um, and then after two weeks off, Tannehill returned, only to be hurt again in this game. He wasn't anywhere to be seen um, in the locker room today. And we were told that Malik... Uh, Willis was speaking and he spoke, you know, as, as the starting quarterback. So it's pretty obvious that, uh, that, that Malik was going to be the starter for this week. And uh, I was digging obviously on what was up with Tannehill, what was up with Dylan Radins and what's up with Nate Davis. Those are the three guys I was really chasing and was able to report later in the day that Tannehill is very likely done for the season. Frankly, one source said done for the season. One source said very likely done for the season. Um, and uh, Dylan Radins, uh, you know, who played uh, a chunk of the early part of the game in, uh, in a rotational system with Dennis Daly and played reasonably well outside of a penalty, well, played well outside of a penalty, towards ACL, which ends his season as well. And, um, you know, leaves a big question mark because he's going to spend his off season now recovering from repair instead of practicing. Um, and, you know, the clock makes it very unlikely that he's ready for training camp. And we know what the first year back from an ACL is like for an offensive lineman, having seen uh, Taylor Lewan a couple of years ago. Tannehill has been of great service to this team. He keyed. Uh, resurgence starting in the middle of 2019. They went to an AFC championship game. They've been to the playoffs each year since. You can criticize the playoff performances since, certainly. Uh, bad home loss to the, to the Ravens. Terrible performance in the loss to Cincinnati. And I thought really judgment day for him was going to be in the home opener Uh playoff game for winning the AFC South this year. Now um, Titans are in jeopardy of not making the playoffs with uh, the Jaguars hot on their tail, one game behind uh, the worst thing that can happen for the Titans. If they continue to lose, if they lose their next two games um, Saturday against the Texans at home Thursday, uh, December 29th against Dallas at home is that they play at Jacksonville. The game is still to be determined if it's on Saturday, the seventh or Sunday, the eighth at Jacksonville, even if the Titans lose their two games, they would be playing a win and in game at Jacksonville, but the Jaguars have great momentum. Now uh, they've won three out of four. The Titans have lost four in a row. And the Titans, who had a huge lead in the division that seemed insurmountable, are in big trouble, having lost four in a row and now down their starting quarterback 
and they're also beat up terribly um, starting on that offensive line ben jones suffered a second concussion uh, of the season and he's not going to play this week with that dennis daly's got an abdomen uh injury and he was a limited part participant on wednesday look i know you're not dreading uh being without dennis daly but now uh raiden's is is out and they don't have a left tackle it could be jordan roos nate davis the right guard ankle injury didn't practice two days in a row and he's had a knee injury uh for for a long time ben jones i mentioned is is out um aaron brewer has a rib injury and he's been a limited participant um for for two two days this week um uh, so that's another offensive lineman, Nicholas Petit Frere, the right tackle, limited participant two days in a row with an ankle injury. So we need to see what these guys do on Thursday, but the offensive line, every single guy is on the injury report, every single guy. And um, Jones is not going to play for sure. I think that um, Nate Davis is, is going to likely have trouble playing so i think you're down at least two guys there maybe three and i would look for for jordan roos uh to be in the lineup maybe Corey levin is in the lineup and conceivably daniel munyer who was just brought back uh onto the practice squad could be activated and play too many people out there saying well you know there's a silver lining or this is the best thing that could have happened to get to evaluate Malik Willis now and see for the future. Malik Willis is not ready. It's only seven weeks ago that he played. They were throwing what six completions a game um, against the, the, the Texans and the Chiefs. I mean, they'll bring them some energy and I'm going to talk about energy in a little bit. But Malik Willis by no means gives them their best chance and a better chance than a healthy Tannehill or the Tannehill that we saw last week coming coming off the, the badly twisted ankle. So, look, there's a chance. I think it's slim that that's it for Ryan Tannehill, who did a hell of a job for the Titans in his time here. Look, I, I know those last two, the last three playoff games were really bad. But... Um, you got to have a quarterback that can win regular season games and get you into the playoffs. And he did that and he has some limitations, but the Titans built an offense where they lucked out and had a pairing of Derek Henry and Ryan Tannehill that, that worked beautifully um, at its best where Henry ran well and, um, and Ryan Tannehill was very good at play action. And, and it was a, a good marriage. Now, they overpaid him in terms of cap structure. And part of that was the Julio Jones deal that they restructured Tannehill for. So for him to have a cap number of 38.6 million, according to Spotrack this year is a big mistake. Now they can get out after this season, having paid him three years, $91 million. They can get out of that after this season with a cap charge next year of $17.8 million. Uh, I'm sorry with a cap savings of $17.8 million and a dead cap charge of $18.8 million. He's got to be healthy for them to cut him 
for that amount, um, you know, at the start of the new league year when they're going to need to 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 save salary cap dollars. But I don't think Malik Willis is going to have shown them that he could be the starting cheap starting quarterback for them, even in a rebuild. Um, and so what your quarterback alternative is, you know, I know some people dream of, of Rogers or Brady, but either of those guys coming in going to cost you substantial money on top of that 18.8. And I don't, I don't think they can afford it. You know, are you drafting another guy? And then you have Willis and that other guy, Josh Dobbs is on the roster. Now he hasn't been able to make it as a starter in the league. I don't think this is goodbye to Ryan Tannehill, but we've very likely seen the last of him this year. This injury list, very disturbing. We will talk more about that as well. In fact, let's go to it now. Look, they've got monstrous, monstrous injury problems. Now, a year ago, we were talking about soft tissue stuff, right? There's an epidemic of soft tissue stuff. This year, there's been less soft tissue stuff. Christian Fulton, you know, Variable talked about repeat offenders. Well, you got repeat soft tissue offenders in Christian Fulton, who's dealt with a hamstring and a groin, and he's on the list this week. We don't know if he's going to play. David Long's on IR with a hamstring again. He missed seven games last year. He's going to miss at least four this year. That's a problem as a repeat offender. and. Elijah Molden is, is going to miss most of this season with a groin, which he said to Terry McCormick dates back to last year, even though he didn't miss time, he fought through it. These three repeat offenders are a big problem who have soft tissue stuff, but soft tissue stuff has not been a giant issue for the Titans this year. Go look at what Mike Herndon wrote this, this, this week at paulkuherski.com. Another example of uh, of a fine work you'll find at the site, which uh, makes it well worth uh, five ninety nine a month or twelve months for the price of uh, of eleven. And Mike, you know, detailed the the positional losses this year, and he detailed the body parts that have caused uh, you know games missed. Um, he also listed, you know. 25 guys the Titans finished their last game without. But, you know, knees have cost the Titans 76 games. Hip has cost the Titans 18 games. This is not, uh, you know, neck 17 games. That's not soft tissue stuff. So it's not the same kind of issues. He and I have both written, Herndon and I, about injury uh, issues in the last couple of days. You should go read these pieces gives you our kind of strategies as to what they need to do going forward. Certainly there need to be changes. Um, maybe their firings involved, but I don't think, you know, it's as simple as just firing guys and that that's the answer to everything, which, you know, it, let's allow for some nuance there. And here, here's the other thing. I got a, a tweet today, you know, all of this has happened since Steve Watterson, left as the strength and conditioning coach. Well, all of it's also happened since Mike Vrabel arrived as the head coach. You know, well, I, I don't know why we're prone to look at it one way as opposed to the other way. So read up on, on those things. I think they're uh, both 
highly significant. There's there's something from Mike, uh, and it's from his column last week that I included in my piece about the way that the that the Falcons looked at how to maximize Julio Jones when he was there. And basically took him to a lab, studied him, and came up with a plan for him. It sounded very un-Titans-like to me. <clears throat> Excuse me. And um, I just, um, I didn't, I read that and thought, wow, that is really kind of cutting edge. And I don't know that the Titans are are super cutting edge on on anything, really. They've played catch up and cutting uh, in, in in like building a bigger building and hiring out in a lot of areas where Bud and Tommy Smith didn't have them at modern levels of a football operation. And I don't know if they're there um, in in sports science, so to speak. Um, so go go read those two pieces and. And while we're there, let's talk about this idea that's flowing around that the Titans should rest everybody that they can for the next two weeks and just get to that Jaguars game because it's a win and end. This is ridiculous, ridiculous thinking. Now, it's conceivable that that if things play out between my puppy's home and he's been released from confinement. Um, after having his arm amputated and being confined for the last two weeks. So if you hear some for him uh, in the background, that's because he's allowed to walk around a little bit more and the family is uh, seeing how he goes about that aside over this idea of resting and not caring about the results. The next couple of weeks is ridiculous to me, even if it becomes apparent and the Jags play uh, Thursday night against the Jets. So if it becomes apparent that the Titans can't clinch the division before the Jaguars game, I don't I don't think you just like, first off, you know, some people are saying rest all the starters. You can't rest all the starters. Like the Titans don't have 10 offensive linemen to, to play without getting people killed. The Titans don't have um four competent wide receivers to play in place of the four receivers that they would start uh you know they have 48 guys available on game day and when you mix in some who are strictly special teamers you can't replace the starting 24 i would call it because when you measure three wide and you measure um nickel and base um you know, I know that that does measure up to 48, but it's not man for man. But Titans are in a huge funk right now. And the idea that they could just go mail it in while resting people against the, the Texans and the Cowboys and then flip some kind of switch as a healthy team and beat the Jaguars who would be hosting a divisional championship game um, is crazy to me. And, and it's not just crazy to me. It's crazy. The Titans are in no position to flip a switch and turn things on after a four-game losing streak, and they certainly wouldn't be after a six-game losing streak. This team has to rediscover how to win. 
it has to rediscover some faith in itself. It has to rediscover some energy, some ability to rebound to bad moments in a game. All of these things. You've watched the last four games. They've got nothing right now. they got no juice. They've got no ability to find a play, to recover from bad stuff, to carry themselves with good body language, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It's an absolutely wrong approach to say, you know what, we'll turn off the faucet for two more, and then we'll just turn it on full blast for the last game against the Jaguars in Jacksonville, against the best quarterback in the division who's who's really heated up, you know. Titans were pretty healthy at the beginning of the season when they were giving up some big plays. Um, the, the Titans at good health are not that good of a football team against good football teams. So I, I just think it's nonsense. I, I don't, don't buy into this, please, 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 please. Quick mention of Franco Harris, who, uh, who died. Um, this week. Um, and it's, it's very sad news because he's getting his, uh, his number retired by the Steelers who don't do a lot of number retirements and obviously have a ton of guys worthy of number retirements. Um, and a ton of, a ton of hall of famers. Um, and I had the good fortune of, uh, of meeting Franco Harris briefly, um, in 2019 when, uh, Jonathan Hutton, one of my, uh, former radio partners and I were up at um, Canton, Ohio for the hall of fame uh, induction weekend when Kevin Mawai was getting inducted. And um, there's a big Friday get together of all of the hall of famers. Um, There's kind of a meeting and then they take a big picture and the big picture is usually on the steps out in front of the Hall of Fame, but the weather was bad that day. And so they took it in the auditorium. We were broadcasting not far from that auditorium and lucked out and we were able to kind of walk around and talk to some guys. And uh, I got a chance to talk to Franco Harris just briefly about Derrick Henry. Keep in mind, this is Derrick Henry circa 2019. You were a big guy. You like when big guys come into fashion? Oh, you know what? Uh, I, I, you know, when I, when I watch Derrick Henry, I mean, his power and his speed is just amazing. And, and all the attributes that he has in the running back. And, you know, so I'm wishing him a lot of luck, uh, except against the Steelers. There aren't too many guys cutting that mold. I mean, he's the biggest of, of the big. You get excited when you see somebody like that stiff-arming people around? Well, you know what? I love to watch running backs, and, uh, and especially when they can break away, you say stiff-arm people, and uh, uh, but make things happen. Like, you know, a player that can make the big play turn the game around, and that's what I watch for. He's been a little inconsistent. What what do you suggest to a big back when he has trouble getting it rolling? What's the key? What was the key to you maybe when things were slow well, to get well, it going? You know what? You never give up. You know, you know, it doesn't matter, you know, that you know, sometimes things go well, sometimes they don't. But you keep focus on, on doing better, doing better, getting better all the time. So there's a little Franco Harris talking about Derek Henry. Um 
there are guys who just match up with their cities in sports. And Franco matches up with uh, Pittsburgh about as well as any guy with any city. And the Titans, obviously, as the Oilers were uh, massive rivals with uh, Franco's Steelers. Um, and I know uh, it means a lot that rivalry to uh, to people who rooted for this team back in those days. And they've got a, a fondness for the guy and uh, what he meant to that rivalry and the like. Um, energy, I said I was going to talk about. This team, I don't care what it says, particularly on offense, lacks any kind of energy right now, any kind of discernible spark. Now, Vrabel says this consistently, and, and I understand why he says it, and I think it's philosophically sound that, you know, energy doesn't bring plays and results. Plays bring energy. Well, whichever way that equation goes, they don't, they don't have it right now on offense in particular. Now, I think Malik Willis' expectations from the people who are excited about him getting in the lineup are crazy based on what we've seen him do and not do. But I did think it was interesting that Todd Downing said that, that Willis has graduated to a place where some things that they'll, they'll talk about now, you know, uh, look at these defenders at these three levels and consider your options against the three aren't strictly now teaching moments for for willis to learn something but they're more conversations and discussions about that and i thought that was an interesting way to sell it uh, or to talk about it and that tells us something about where willis is now but and so willis could conceivably bring this team a spark with a big play right but we haven't seen this big play yet with this with this feet or you know with the with the arm that can be electric. He needs to make it, but the game plan for Houston is going to be the same as it was last time, which is don't ask Willis to do hardly anything and rely on Derrick Henry to run even behind what's going to be maybe the worst offensive line they've fielded going all the way back to Ken Wisenhunt's time. So Derrick Henry, a team leader, gets up at the podium. Now we know this guy's quiet, and we know this guy is moody. All of us in the press know within five seconds of Derrick Henry at the podium, if we've got a chance of getting anything good out of the guy or if it's going to be a dud of a day. And it's probably about a 50-50 rate. This week on Tuesday, absolute dud of a day. Now, look, what he does at the podium is not, important in the big framework i understand that but that team is down and dragging and its fan base is down and dragging and he gets up at the podium and is mumbles the worst he's ever mumbled whispers the most he's ever whispered is as disinterested and deflated as we've ever seen him now, look, I'm always coming at this from a media point of view. I, I concede it. I'm not going to pretend differently. But how about you pump it up and you show people 
who are cheering for you and who are desperate for a sign of life, show them a pulse. Show them something. He was so lifeless at this podium. John Glennon of Sports Illustrated didn't tweet one thing from that podium. You know, we're all taking video of everything we do there. Teresa Walker of Associated Press didn't tweet anything, any video of that. Sam Phelan of A to Z didn't tweet any video of that. Jim Wyatt of the team's own website didn't see fit to share anything from the team's star, from the singular figure of the team's press conference, from the that singular figure of the team, from his press conference, the team's own media rep didn't see fit to tweet a video. Forgive me if I'm mistaken on any of these people, but I looked through their account. I, I took a little video because I wanted to show you how down he was. Here is, here is Derek Henry, the most energetic he was during this miserable time at the podium where I couldn't help but look at it and say, this team has zero life. If, if the guy who's generally mellow can't get enough breath into his lungs to offer a thought here where he's talking about Ryan Tannehill's toughness. And I do whatever you can to help this team win. We know this team and it shows the heart that he has to come out and you know play through you know the pain and you know just finish the game like he did. I just I, I I don't understand the philosophy behind that. That PR staff you know used to you know be able to offer suggestions to players who would take it. Yeah, uh, Derrick Henry's too big of a star, really, for that. And and when he's in the mood to be the boss of the PR staff, he's the boss of the PR staff. But uh, I don't see how that serves the team well. And a lot of you are saying it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It's all about Sunday, and that's fine. You 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 can think that if you want. I don't see what it hurts on Tuesday to uh, to offer seven minutes, six minutes, five minutes of something. You don't have to say anything interesting, but say it as if if you give a shit about where the team is, what the team's doing, whatever, with, with uh, you know, some breath behind it, uh, some, some, some life behind it. Because to me, that's representative of, uh, it's symbolic of where the team is. No life, no interest. No anything. I mean, you could show if anybody had snippets of it and cared to show them, you show that. And that's representative of where the team is right now. Doesn't look like anybody gives a shit, has any energy, has any desire. And that's from a guy you know has desire. So if the guy who maybe has the best desire on the team sounds like that, what do you expect from the rest of the guys? Chris Connolly. Hadn't played very well, doesn't do much for this team, but he's one of the smartest, best talkers in the locker room. I talked to him about this energy idea, what the team has. I mentioned that I had spoken to Nick Westbrook-Akina previously about the lack of energy coming out of the locker room in the third quarter, so we hit on that too. Here's a couple questions with Chris Connolly about Titans' lack of energy. 
Um, yeah, so um, obviously energy is necessary to, to rebound after a bad play or a bad series. Uh, but really just uh, having the guys uh, relax uh, and, and just go out there and do your job. Kind of, uh, I know it's a cliche to say that, but really that's what it comes down to. You have to have high energy, you have to relax, because if you press, then more mistakes are made. Uh, you know, that, the third quarter is, a, is a kind of a pivotal time in the game. A lot of momentum swings happen, uh, adjustments uh, coming out of halftime. And so uh, we know that we got to take those adjustments. We got to apply them quicker. Uh, we got to be cleaner with them. Uh, and then also we got to help. We got to help everyone around us uh, to do their job. And that means eliminating your mistakes and doing your job well enough to really elevate those around you. I know there's been a ton of factors in these four games, and there hasn't. It's not like you've lost them the same way. But do you think energy's been a, a factor, and that you guys have gotten down at times and not come uh, out of it well? I think I think um, it, it, it might have been uh, in, in one or one of those situations. Um, you know, ultimately. You know, it comes down to making the plays when the plays are there, uh, quite frankly. Uh, and that could be energy, that could be not. You can look at it and you can say a lot of things. Ultimately, the play's got to be made. Uh, we got to make the adjustments, and we can't have a mistake, a mistake that happens twice. We can't have a mistake. I understand that we have a lot of guys who are, who are new. We have guys going in and out. Uh, but we got to clean up our details uh, and make sure that even if it is a new guy in there, that we can communicate to the point where he feels like he's been in there the whole time. Seems clear it's Malik's offense this week. He just talked to us. How much energy can he help bring just as a, a new guy, fresh legs, run around, a little uh, a bit ton. different game? A ton. Uh, you know, Malik, uh, if you spent 10 minutes with him, you know that he's a guy who has high energy. Uh, you know, he has, uh, we think, the world of him. Uh, he's worked extremely hard. And uh, his game automatically provides energy. It keeps you on your toes. You never know uh, what the play could end up being. Uh, if it falls apart, he can make things happen with his leg, and he can do it as well with his arm. So, um, you know, it's it's definitely a, a little bit of a, a momentum shift, uh, and you kind of got to switch uh, mentalities of keeping the play alive and making sure that you find him wherever he's at. And you guys are at a place, I imagine, that, heck, when, when things are going good, you could be at a place where one play can kind of flip That's things and really get stuff going, right? That's all it takes. All it takes is one play. Somebody just step up and make it. Uh, you know, I love one play drives. You know, you have a one play uh, explosive for a touchdown, that's that's a great way to have a, a drive starter. That's a way, great way to have a, a starter out of the half. Uh, so if we can get back to not only just making the consistent play, staying on the field, picking up the third downs, but also uh, getting those explosives and playing complimentary football, uh, that'll help us. I thought that was pretty good from Chris. And here's Malik Willis, who didn't really get the, the initial question about him potentially offering a spark. So I get him to get there at the end of, of this little exchange. I mean, that's always going to be results-based, though. Say, offense been dragging. I mean, you know, a lot of teams win games 7-0. A lot of teams win games 14-0. It's about going out there and trying to win, however that may look like. And whether we got to rush for 250 or whether we got to throw for 300, it doesn't really matter. It's about going and winning games, and that's, that's it. And, and we're a team at the end of the day, offense and defense. We play complementary football. It's not about one side doing more than the other. It's not about any of that. How about that energy part of it from you? Getting better. Working on helping the defense out. You're going to bring it? Yeah. I mean, we don't have any choice. What do you mean? In terms of the energy. Oh, I mean, yeah. You got to be the same guy every day. You got to be somebody these guys can look behind and 
they can get behind and follow. I don't know if Malik can bring the energy or not. Again, you know, him being rah-rah isn't what Mike Vrabel's looking for. What Mike Vrabel's looking for is a play. Plays are most likely to come from Derrick Henry. And I would bet on Derrick Henry producing against the Texans, except, except Jordan Roos, except Corey Levin, except Daniel Munyer, except Dennis Daly, except whoever they're rolling out on that offensive line. It's just, uh, it's not going to be very good. Two more topics I wanted to hit. I, I think Mike Vrabel's got a little bit of a dilemma. He's rolling so many new guys through, and, and this week that includes offensive linemen, as we hit on here several times. But we know he's done it defensively over and over and over and gotten pretty good results. But he talks about, and all good coaches talk about, not wanting to ask guys to do too much, to do things that they can't do. But then when you've got a field full of guys who are limited, how do you, how do you do that? Uh, don't you have to ask them to do a little bit more than they can? Uh, how do you kind of juggle this idea of I don't want to ask them to do too much, but if I've got a field full of guys who I can't ask to do too much, what can we really do? So I asked Vrabel about that this week. Well, I think the challenge that we've always talked about is do you try to do more, right, and try to come up with some magic scheme or do you try to do less and try to focus on execution? And I think there's a balance somewhere in between, you know, some plays that, you know, maybe we thought or some defensive scheme maybe that we thought that, hey, let's do that. And then, you know, it didn't, didn't go very well or we didn't execute it. Um, you know, I think that there's always a, a really great ability to execute your scheme, you know, mean what you've practiced and the bread and butter and, you know, mixing in a couple tweaks in the red zone and maybe on third down defensively, I think trying to have a core of what we do so that these parts that you know, these players that, you know, whether it's John Reed last week, for example, or Jack Gibbons that maybe haven't been out there as much or, you know, when Monty, Monty Rice was working his way back in and different, you know, Andrew Adams and now the volumes for some of these guys have picked up because they kind of know it. I think early on you probably are better off doing less than you are, you know, a whole lot. So do they find a magic scheme with more or did they do less by executing? Well, we know execution hasn't been a uh, great feature of, of this team. Um, but I would expect a very simplified game plan against a team that's only got one win. And that to give the Titans some reassurance. But Texans are coming off two pretty damn good games. Close one against Dallas. They probably should have won. And look, I believe in results. They didn't win it. But when you're a 1-12-1 team or whatever the Texans are, losing close to a a, a team that's 10-3 and three or whatever the Cowboys are, it's not without meaning. And they just took the Chiefs to overtime which is, uh, you know, better than what the Titans did against the Chiefs. So the Titans played the Chiefs well as well. Titans uh, lost 2017 to the Chiefs on November 6th. So I don't have stats for you at the end here. I, I'm going to give you a, a little bit of hope in the midst of all of this gloom. I don't like the chances this weekend at all. I think the Titans are 
dead men walking, so to speak. I don't see any reason to believe in anything they're doing based on the way the recent evidence, right? But listen to Jeffrey Simmons here. I asked him about, you know, being in this underdog role. I hadn't looked at the spread. I'm sure the Titans are favored against a one-win team. But they sure feel like they're back in that underdog role, right? Nobody believes in them, yada, yada, yada. There's no reason to believe in them. Look at what they've done the last four weeks. There's no reason to believe in them. So I asked Jeff Simmons about that. Here's what he had to say. Man, I, I don't think Dan matter. I think right now it matter. I, I don't. I'm gonna keep on keep um, not believing in us, and that's you know we only we tell the good guys all the time. We all we got, we all we need. So you know the guys in this locker room, if we believe and we trust in each other, that we're gonna go get a win. And you know the coaches and everyone that's around us, we're gonna go get a win. We're gonna find a way to get a win. We're gonna keep. This locker room tight. We're gonna play together. We're gonna play for each other, and that's all that matters. I don't. We don't care about the outside noise, and you know we're gonna find a way to get a win this weekend. His lack of doubt, his conviction, with his lack of doubt, his steadfast belief that they are going to win this week, almost convinces me. Almost. I'm Paul Kuharski of PaulKuharski.com. Don't block the box and do lock the locks. I wish for you and yours a very, very Merry Christmas. Please be safe out there and uh, check my Twitter and, and my Facebook. I'm going to have video of my three-legged puppy walking around very soon. Might be the best thing on my timeline uh, because the Titan stuff is not very rosy. Thanks again. <laughs>